The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! why I named the album Lazaretto is that that really is me personally uh, my sort of fantasy that I, I sort of I wish that I would some other forces powers that be would would push me in a scenario for a month and lock me somewhere instead of me doing it to myself all the time I'm always self-imposing uh-huh. restrictions on myself and so I guess my fantasy all the time is oh it'd be so nice to be in a quarantine hospital but you know not to die from it but just to know that I had to have to stay here for two months and I can't do anything else It's a beautiful sounding word too, Lazaretto, coming from Lazarus, I guess. Please, come to Sway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your name? Uh, Sven. Your, your son's name is? Scamp C and Scamp E. What affliction <laughs> afflicts you today? Uh, you see, I have an arm. It, it goes, it clicks, it clicks. You have clicking arm. I have, oh yeah, I have a weird case of clicking arm. And now when your arm clicks... How many clicks does it click? 14. In yeah. any specific sequence? To the tune of the... How's you, how do you say Jingle bells? Oh, oh, that's not good. <laughs> My, no, it's, it's terrible outside of the season. Uh, In no, season, no, very good. A, a 14 yes. clicking yeah. arm that clicks to the tune of Jingle bells. I'm sorry, sir. You are very, very contagious. My accent is changing at the moment. I'm so frightened at how contagious you are. I am going to have to go ahead and admit you and your son here. Your son is... What What affliction affects your son? Or is your son just following He's orders? He's also got is, the hey, clicking... Is your son just following orders? My son, yeah. He also has the clicking arm, except it clicks to the... Of, of Up on the Rooftop. Okay, so, you, wait, you're telling me... And that's a Christmas song, yes. Your arm clicks 14 times in the sequence, roughly, of a Christmas song. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your son's arm clicks... Four, how many times did you say your, your son's arm is clicking? I've gotten up to 64. 64 clicks, and that's a different Christmas song. You're, these are very serious afflictions. Not good. We are going to have to check you in. Uh, permanently, I think, to this lazaretto, this plague hospital. Uh, oh, no. no, no. Um, yeah, well, uh, who do you work for? Ves- Vescovo? Is that what you said? Yeah? It's a cruise ship. It's very nice. Um, <laughs> the diamond, diamond princess has sent me here. 
you will be bored rotten here is your coffee and cotton to make figurines that will be all <laughs> scampsy hey make figurines what did I say what did I scampsy are you talking what did I what, excuse me what did I say make figurines figurines I said hey I said make figurines you little shit Hey, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, fuck you. Hey, I made a dolphin. Hey, hey, fuck you. Your room is right this way. You don't like the dolphin? Is it, was it, was that Russian or German? I don't know. Uh, uh, that was a plague joke. Welcome to the Third Man Podcast. Um, I, I didn't have anything better, frankly. My name is Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. Welcome. We are doing, this is a Jack White History Program, and we're doing a series of episodes, which I'm very excited about. It's one that has been a long time in coming, and one that seems oddly appropriate for this, let's call it, point in history. We're going to be doing an album analysis and review of my favorite Jack record now why at this point in history what's so what's so hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean as as toyota has told me these times are uh, unprecedented <laughs> it's a long time in coming this will be an album analysis and review of uh, jack white's second solo studio album the album lazaretto which is of course named after a plague hospital mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and we were gonna do this one this season and then, like, uh, the whole world became a Lazaretto. Yeah. And here we are. And so it's actually kind of serendipitous. So we're going to be doing – this is going to be a really cool series of episodes. We're going to do, you know, the usual series, the part one, part two. But we may actually have a a third companion part. We're very excited about it. We're going to let that be a surprise. But, James, I'm very excited to go through this record. I am, too. Do you think he meant coffee and cottonelle because of the toilet paper thing, toilet paper memes, Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be that. One of my favorite projects. Got a lot to talk about here, so we're going to plow through that stuff. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been enjoying and supporting the program uh, throughout all this yes. plague madness. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for doing that. And uh, before we get to that album analysis, James, I think we've got something. Ah, yes. Uh, Paul, is there something we should read? <laughs> Uh, I wrote a letter this morning. Okay, all right, all right, all right. No, no, we we can go to every single... All right, yeah, I guess we're going to start a new segment. <laughs> <laughs> James has convinced me that, that, that we should start a new segment for this, so I guess I'll be doing that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> James, do you want to, since you just coined that, I don't know how much of this I'm keeping in the show, but since you just coined the name, do you want to tell us where we're going? Uh, yeah, Paul, is it's it's time... To read a letter. To open the sack. To open our sack and <laughs> and read a letter. Uh, we got a death letter here, Paul. We got a letter this morning. Meanwhile, letters by the thousands have been flooding postal facilities at the North Pole. Well, hello there. Oh, I've got lots of letters for you. I understand the post office receives thousands of these letters every year. I put them here on my desk. It's your honor. I put them here on the desk. I love this morning walk through. Wreck and wreck. 
Yeah, so, all right, we got a letter here this morning is going to be a new segment where we get some interesting <laughs> or fun listener mail from somewhere in this great globe, this great sickly globe this of great ours. great globe of ours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we got a really nice letter from Aline Barbarino from Brazil, who uh, checked in with us. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. If I'm not, uh, Aline... Just let me know. But uh, she let us know that she's been uh, very much enjoying our episode. She found us through the Striped Podcasts. You might also find yourself listening to this uh, recommendation. So thanks, Spotify, for that. I like the way you put that, Paul, because it's it's like you might also like this, but you're like, you might also find yourself listening. You may find yourself in a Jack White podcast rabbit hole. And you may find yourself inside of an improv sketch you didn't sign up for (laughs) much like all of our listeners so she uh well i'll just read a little bit from what she told us here she gives a little bit of her background i thought it was fun so she says she uh she had first first contact i guess with jack in uh, 2003 watching mtv i am not sure now but as far as i can remember one of the first things i saw was the fell in love with a girl music video so you know right around the time we got in and uh, mm-hmm. she was uh, she was blown away. Still one of her favorite music videos ever, mine as well. At the time, she didn't have a computer at home, so her main source of inspiration was music magazines. She was not, it looks like, uh, able to see him when he came around in 2003 and 2005, which is unfortunate. That would have been the under-Amazonian lights gig mm-hmm. where right after he married Karen Elson. But I do like that Brazil is so big that it's like saying... You were in California, and I'm over here, and I got married. It's like, oh, I got married in your Your neck of the country. woods. Your neck of the, <laughs> the rain <Yeah>. woods. <laughs> um, this beautiful globe of ours. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so she never saw the stripes, but she did see Jack on the Lazaretto tour, which we're talking about today. Ah. And um, that was in 2015, I guess. Uh, Jack was in Brazil. Was that the one with Robert Plant? I feel like it might have been. I don't remember. I think that was the one with Robert Plant. Sure. She said no words could describe uh, what it felt like seeing him so close, his passion for music and art and for a human connection, the urge to contribute in some way to the world. She wanted to have the chance to tell him in person someday, well, you know, he has, he, we know he's listened to at least a portion of one of our episodes, James. So, I, you know, that might be close. He might hear it. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, and James, she went on to compliment Carl Butterball. Um, so do you want to give a special shout out to Aline? Uh, I'm sorry. Does Carl want to give a special shout out to Aline? Can you go, can you go get Carl? Yeah, I could go get Carl. I think I, I think I know where I can find him. Oh, there it is. Oh, it sends a shiver up me spine. (laughs) Aline, thank you so much. I will write a letter. I will pen a letter personally to you as well. From Carl T. Butterball. The T stands for turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, how have you Thank been? Thank you uh, so much. Carl, how have you been faring in the quarantine? How, how have the turkeys I've eaten been? most of my birds. You've eaten them. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, mostly the giblets. I've found that uh, four or five birds will sustain me for an hour or two. And then I need to feast again. <laughs> like a, some kind of vampire. <laughs> Like some kind of turkey-based vampire, yes. Mm. Who's only targeting I, the internal organs and not any of the meat. Or... 
uh, barely organs, one could call them. They're very, very much. <laughs> so, uh, eat your greens and. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That took a hard turn into fatherly advice there, Carl. Are you saying eat our greens or are the. Or are you saying the turkeys have become green with rot because you've extracted their organs? <laughs> no, I name all my turkey families. You know, my turkey peaches oh, wait, who does wait. my taxes. Wait, so there's a turkey named <laughs> Greens and that's what you meant? Remember to eat your greens? <laughs> no, Greens is his family name, his surname, you see. So you're, you've targeted one turkey family like the movie Taken to... <laughs> So there's like a turkey Liam Neeson out there who's going to be coming after you. <laughs> he called me up and warbled a bunch. I don't quite understand it, I'm, but... I have a specific set of warbles. <laughs> oh, we got that big afternoon energy. Anyway, Goodbye! Thanks, Aline, for writing in, and that's been uh, our inaugural segment of I found a I got a letter this morning. Don't go they always comes out when you Hey, it's getting late. And I've got these letters to deliver. And you better be getting home too. We have fun. All right. Um, well, James, what do you say we get into this uh, Lazaretto topic here? It's a big one. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got plenty of coffee and cotton. I'm building figurines as we speak. Paul, let's do it. All right, James. Ready to get thrown down into the Lazaretto? I've been bored rotten, Paul. Let's do it. All right. So this is Jack White's sophomore solo LP. It is the longest time Jack ever spent to date at that time recording an album an 18 month endeavor that in doing this research i discovered was really pieced together in one of those weird puzzly predicaments he likes to place himself in but you know i found a lot of interesting things about this like a lot of precursor to boarding house reach a lot of that a lot of things i i honestly didn't know you know i think it's safe to say james that this album at least at least for me but maybe for like our fandom of the of the third man world, this was kind of a a, a pinnacle moment for us. Is that what- for us? Yeah, we were very obsessed at this point. I think, and we were aching for some new material. I remember dog sitting for our aunt and being in her house, listening on the bed to this whole album's pre-release thing, the live stream they set up to, yes. to pre-release it. Yes. And uh, it was, it blew me away. And it was, as Paul, you coined the phrase a bunch of times, the coolest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. I was loving it. And so, yeah, it was a critical time for us, I think, as Jack White fans. Yeah, I think I was the most excited about this release that I have been about any Jack release in terms of like what I thought about the album, my level of engagement. Like, this is when I really started very closely paying attention and then by the end of this album cycle you know it wasn't too long after that that we started this podcast i think still buzzing off of that energy that uh, Mm -hmm. you mike and i had and so this album was you know a pivotal one for ourselves as well but the inception of lazaretto comes about because of uh, of jack white's first solo album blunderbuss that was huge that was a that was his first number one in any band number one album first one 
Really? Yes. That was a big success. I think that might have even took him by surprise a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just how successful it was. It got nominated for all these Grammys. I mean, they were treating him like White Stripes Jack again with this one. It wasn't the dead weather where they don't really understand it. It wasn't kind of the commercial, how do you do that the raconteurs are, you know. There's a lot of great music with the raconteurs, but it's not like what the White Stripes was. And I think Blunderbuss, to a lot of people, at least critics, felt like, okay, this is kind of more on par with where he was headed with, like, Icky Thump. And so... Yeah, and as he's stated in the past, you know, people ask him for more White Stripes, and he says, well what I'm writing for my solo stuff is what I'd be writing for the White Stripes. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So in a lot of ways, it actually is what that continuation would be. Now, that's a big act to follow. And what I found in doing this research was that a lot of the genesis of Lazaretto was just him trying to keep the blunderbuss energy going. Mm -hmm. Jack told Rolling Stone, going out on the road with two bands that was going out on the road with a gigantic new family. And my influences have spread out even more to have, you know, a hip hop drummer, you know, bluegrass fiddle player next to someone from Denmark who plays steel guitar and a soul singer like Ruby Amonfu and on and on and on. There's no genre. It all comes together and influences me in 16 different ways. I think everyone involved was inspired and definitely doing something they've never done before. I don't think anybody had really done that before, and it was kind of scary in a way. We didn't know if it would only work for maybe two or three weeks and we'd have to cancel it, but it worked, and it's worth all the trouble, I think. And so in many ways, this was Jack buzzing off of that. And even though we, we, you know, we've heard, we've talked to a lot of the members of the Buzzers and the Peacocks, the groups he's referring to there, the all-female and all-male touring bands, and they said that there was a bit of a weird competition on that blunderbuss tour between the two of them. But what it sounds like is like, okay, yeah, there may have been that competition. And it may have been hard. It may have been challenging. But it also was extremely artistically engaging for everybody. Yeah. They were all a big family and they all kind of gleaned different styles and genres and were able to contribute it to their own stuff, as you could see with like Lily May's solo career. Yeah. So Jack wanted to say, I just want to write and bring the buzzards and peacocks in and work on some things and work on the things with no intention of what it's going to be. No competition between the bands. People just keep writing and recording until I decide what it's going to be. And I haven't decided that yet. So that's where his head is at. And what we're talking about now is 2012, in the midst of the Blunderbuss tour, is when these <laughs> things are happening. So that brings us to the first round of recording sessions for a follow-up to the Blunderbuss album. So sessions began during touring breaks for the Blunderbuss tour for what would become Lazaretto. In February of 2013, Jack told Rolling Stone that he had 20 to 25 tracks he was working on actively, referring to the progress that he had been making over those months that the band was on tour. So a lot of these tracks were actually recorded. This is the most interesting thing I found. A lot of what he was doing in the 2012 sessions were only instrumentals. So hmm. he would go into the studio with whoever you know was around during the, the break, either the Buzzards or the Peacocks, because what you find on some of these tracks when you go down and actually look who plays on what, it's usually either the Buzzards or the Peacocks, yeah. which I actually didn't even realize at the time. Uh, you know, there's some blending, but it's actually the basic tracks are usually one or the other. Huh. That's interesting. I'm curious what the other tracks were, because 20 to 25, there has to be stuff that he's throwing away, and I want to know what that stuff is. I mean, we did get a lot of output. We got a lot of B-sides. That's um, true. We got a lot of, uh, I mean, it was, you know, not a 
terribly short album. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything he held on to, anything like that, uh, sort of unclear. But uh, what we do know is that he was taking those bands in there and he was working with them on these things. You started with the White Stripes Band of Two. Now you have a full band behind you. Are you expanding your creativity or are you just making more friends? Uh, last time I went out, uh, under my own name, I had two bands with me, an all-female band and an all-male band, and that was sort of... I wanted to get as far away from just me being up there with a bunch of, you know, five nameless people standing behind me that no one could care in the crowd who was playing bass, or I, want, I wanted everyone to have their own character, and I got lucky and, and know a lot of musicians who are real characters, you know. We, we know we had this history together from the two bands, and now we've kind of combined together, so now it's sort of like a, a, a scouting patrol or attack force now that we combined from that big battalion. I found that to be very interesting because that explains why an instrumental wound up on this album. Right. Is because he just sort of left the lyrics off of one of them. <laughs> but yeah, so that's what he's doing. In 2012, he's getting into the studio. He's kind of jamming and arranging and coming up with songs that can survive without lyrics which we don't really kind of get a lot from him. I mean, we get that sort of anecdotally from these other albums that are maybe less documented. But um, I thought that was just really, really interesting. Well, in terms of his White Stripes material, the lyrics are what hold it together. I mean, obviously there's amazing music there too, but he's leaning on his really great writing skills, not necessarily on the music. I mean, his solos are also what built it, but... At the same time, you know, it's it's odd for something that would be the continuation of the White Stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And odd that that's how he would approach this. But also, you know, like, yeah. it is something he maybe hadn't done before, so he's always looking to do that. Maybe that's why Boarding House Reach was what it was. He was doing what he did with Lazaretto just by himself. Oh, James, I found so much Boarding House Reach <laughs> precursor in this that as I go, I'm going to start pointing it out, like... There's so much in here where you're reading it and you're like, oh, that's just what he did later with Boarding House Reach. Because he, anyway, he told NPR, a new problem with these songs is that I recorded the music and I didn't write vocal parts or lyrics for some of them for maybe seven or eight months. Oof. So I was in a real bind. I become disconnected with the music. To, to start thinking about what stories make sense and what characters can go involved in this. I've been so far away from them. Now, I'd, I've never been in this position before because I'd never worked on an album this long before. So I was getting very frustrated with the idea of, oh my God, I can't imagine sitting down and trying to sing to this song. If now it's someone else's song. Huh. I, have to pretend, I, I have to pretend it's someone else's and I have to cover this song and, and collaborate with them. <laughs> Through all that jamming, they're producing these interesting results. They're producing good stuff. But the more they go back on tour and then come back and jam more and and so on and so forth, the further disconnected from the songs he's actually getting, Hmm. which I, you know, it's an interesting way to work. sounds like all of these songs are sort of collaborations with his younger self, albeit, you know, young in a relative sense. You raise an interesting point there. So who does Jack invite to collaborate on these songs with? Uh, Alanis Morissette. Wouldn't that be ironic? <laughs> His 19-year-old self. It's a... I mean, it's his White Stripes self. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is his White Stripes... Well, it's it's like upholsterer's self. Yeah. Or pre-upholsterer's. He's in the, the dead leaves, kind of. <laughs> sort of, yeah. So, so those instrumentals found lyrics when Jack made a cool discovery in his attic. 
uh, via a Rolling Stone interview in 2014, that Willy Wonka rock cover story that says, A few years ago, Jack found a box of plays and short stories he had written at 19 when he dropped out of Wayne State University. He calls this work, quote, mediocre, but uses phrases and characters on this album's songs. It was a way of stimulating me, he said. Ooh, what if I talk to my younger self and work together with him? Via The Guardian, I thought... What if I write a song with myself? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got to be careful when you stimulate yourself, Paul. You, you really... You wind up in the lazaretto. Yeah, feel free to explore. Feel free to, uh, you know, kind of try new things. But when you're stimulating yourself, you really got to be careful. Yeah, you might go blind. Sex things. Yeah. Paul, continue. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, he said, uh, what if I write a song with myself, collaborate with my 19-year-old self on a song, and then the the writer of this Guardian article feels the need to include, he lets rip a honking laugh. <laughs> wait, wait, did I just let rip a honking laugh? I think I did. Yeah. Oh, man, you really let that one rip. <laughs> so... He tells NPR, I had found these scribble writings or whatever when I was 19. I love that he calls them scribble writings. It's very funny to me. They weren't very good. They were just sort of a person without any experience in life, but with, you know, a lot of fire inside of me about couldn't wait to break out of the house and get something done, go somewhere, see something. And um, I thought, well, I would like the photographs I told you before. I think I'm just going to throw away all these and keep one or two of them that were interesting. And I thought, well, you know, why don't before I do that, why don't I pull some of these characters out, some of these names, some of these sentences, and, and work with them? And I did, and, and it became a way to collaborate with my younger self. That's how I'll I'll do these vocals on these songs. I'm going to collaborate with the 19 year old version of me, which is half my age That's right now. And um, I have experience now. What would I be telling myself? How to do it? If I if I could go back and say, no, this is how you write a song, and tell myself, this is what how you do it, and these are how you work with metaphors. Try it like this. So that became the way I, I got out of that bind. So somewhere, Ben Blackwell was screaming at him not to throw any of that out. First of all, <laughs> second of all. Jack White was sitting writing plays in his attic, like Michael Scarn, The Threat Level Midnight. Yeah. I really hope he held on to those plays because I would love, I just, on a curiosity level, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It would make, it would make a hell of an off Broadway uh, production. <laughs> I would pay to see it. I mean, you're trapped in a little room, all of right, you. Right. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it would be like a, sort of a Bukowski thing, sort of a Wes Anderson thing. There's audience plants. There's like one guy who's there who's like playing Blind Willie McTell or Sunhouse who just starts getting up and clapping to the tune of Grinning in Your Face. Right. It's good stuff. <laughs> Plays, James. Plays. <laughs> Productions. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you think they were like operas? Did he do opera? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't right. put anything past him. So space opera? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when asked about what he saw in his 19-year-old self, he said, "A lust for life, but with no experience. It's a different place to be in." Now I start to write and I think about these characters and where they could go. I think, "Oh, this person would do this. That person would do that." But the harsh reality is, when that person gets to the end of that tunnel, 
there's nothing there. You know, I, something like that. Whereas I, when I was writing when I was 19, I thought, oh, no, when you get to that end of the tunnel, there's something beautiful and romantic might happen there. And it goes to another level. And now it's hard. I have to walk, talk myself out of the harsh reality of that over the years, you know, you, your romance becomes tempered by realism. And you have to uh, figure out a balance of keeping yourself positive and outlook in life, but knowing in the back of your head that there could be a bad ending to this. Woof. <laughs> Uh, yikes. Yeah, that sounds like the Jack White we know. I mean, I get it. I, yeah. I get it. You know, he, it, earlier in that article, they start talking about coincidence, and Jack is talking about how he, he used to find coincidence magical, and then he read some paper, or watched some document. I don't know what it was, but he was like, then he found out that coincidence is really just the human need to find patterns in things. And then he said that sucked all the romance out of his life for like a <laughs> week. And like, yeah, he's like, oh, I he's like, I just can't think about that anymore. He's like, if, if that's real, then all of this is just bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's right. It, it, and um, I really like to imagine now that he, he still right now sees an outlet. Like, and he's like, oh, look at that happy little face right there. And then he, like, picks up Scott McCloud's book, and he's like, oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, beans. That's just a symbol that looks like a face, because humans are trying to find faces. Oh, uh, God. Oh, beans. There's a coincidence that pops up here uh, when we talk about the Lazaretto song I'll get into that he he's like, but there's a couple that I'm like, that's really weird. And one of them's on the Lazaretto. The other one he's talking about, he has a morning ritual where he goes to buy coffee in a drive through window. First of all, where? Um, <laughs> it's a speakeasy. Who's yeah. selling Jack White coffee in his car? <laughs> They're also selling him cotton, but, you know. It's just weird. It's a weird thing. But anyway, he was having a conversation with the person who was in the car with him about how America had to discontinue copper pennies during World War II because they were trying to conserve them or whatever. And so, the you know, the silver pennies or whatever the the thing was. Yeah, they were trying to save copper for bullets. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, uh, and he said he went back to the coffee place the next, was it the next week or the next day or some days later, and he got one of those silver pennies in his change. And he was like, no. And then, but, so like, there was a couple coincidences. Point. I, I was having a blast reading these 2014 articles. Did, did he take the penny and he's a, and throw it back at them? Going, this is meaningless. <laughs> Just my brain trying to sense connections. Uh, he told the Tennessean, "I was in a strange position because I'd written music that I hadn't written vocals for for months. So I had to figure out before I walk in to do that, where am I coming from now? I'm not the same person anymore. I'm not in the same place." This is a new scenario for me, and I thought, okay, work with yourself. Teach your younger self how to write a song, how to twist metaphor, and make them into something compelling for more than just you, but for other people. How things can have triple meaning. Love them anyhow. 
Lost feelings of love, lost, lost feelings of love that hover above me. So that's what he did, and then the second round of recording sessions kicks kicks up again in 2014. Although in, in January of 2014, Jack told people in a third man vault chat that he was nearly finished with the record, saying that he had produced two albums that month, one of which was his, and the other one I'm guessing was Bathtub Love Killings, because that fits the, the time frame there. Mm. So it says that the second batch of recordings was 2014, although I it, it was either very early in January or sort of in that late 2013, early 2014 window. He does tend to record in the wintertime, so probably January? Yeah, maybe over the holidays or something like that. In the end, the songs that were recorded vary wildly in style and genre. There's country, there's stadium rock, there's blues, there's singer songwriting acoustic stuff. Jack said, quote, It's definitely not one sound. It's definitely several like you heard on Blunderbuss, there are many different styles in there. I don't pick my style and then write a song. I just write whatever comes out of me. When whatever style, it is what it is, and it becomes something later. Someone else can label it if they want to. And that's, there's your, create your own box, you don't have to listen. Yeah. But as it's being written and recorded, I'm just trying to service the song as best as possible. So that's, again, what I'm still doing. And then he followed up with The Guardian saying, All I can do is attack the song, song by song. It doesn't matter if it's the dead weather, the raconteurs, or anything. I'm attacking the song, he says. <laughs> Quote, Sometimes they sound really different, and sometimes people will say, That sounds exactly like a White Stripes song with five people playing on it. If anything, that'd be a compliment to me. I'd be flattered. I don't know. It's going to be me on there no matter what. Mm. And uh, we do know that he was recording up until at least May. And I think that later stuff was mostly B-sides. He did a B-side the same day that he conducted an interview on, which was May 20th. So we know he was recording up until that late time frame. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to the studio after this. What are you going to do in the studio today? I'm doing a B-side for the next single. Do you go in... Oftentimes with other folks, you're going alone. What are you up, up to today? My band's in town. Uh, we're rehearsing to go uh, play shows. So today, but today we're taking a break, and I'm just going to record things today. That sometimes you get, you have to get caught up. But when you start playing together and, and rehearsing, you, you just come up with ideas, and then at some point you have to t- take a day. Like, huh, I want to record a few things because I keep thinking of new ideas now that we've been playing music all day long every day. You have to take a break and record, I think, is, is good for me to c- capture some of that stuff or forget about it. to 
April of 2014, a music video for Highball Stepper was released as a teaser for the album. And the video was what looks like a paint, uh, or like a bunch of paint vibrating and such on a, on a big speaker. I don't, do you remember this, uh, this video? I do. Yeah. I, I was very excited for it. I was at my, one of my first jobs and I, I watched that and I was, oh man, I was so excited. Uh. <laughs> I was too. And doing the same thing. I think I was at work and just listening to it on repeat. Yeah. Uh, it's a great video. It's really cool. And it, an interesting way to um, debut the record, to be honest. Yeah, and a good use of his color schemes with the blue and the white paints and mixing and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, maybe a more effective teaser for the record than like servings and portions was for Boarding House Reach, but along the same uh, lines, it was like a like a trailer. Servings and portions definitely gave you a sample of what the album was going to be like, which is <laughs> true. Odd. Yeah, which is, <laughs> the album itself was was finally released on uh, June tenth, twenty fourteen, and there was an interesting promotional appearance on July second to not only promote the album itself but the tour the accompanying tour now this was a secret gig in london and uh Mm. did you get the emails for this because i got them and i immediately wanted to think they were spam yeah (laughs) uh and because it came from i know you're gonna get to it but viscovo and co and i'm like what the hell is this Mm. and there's a disease apparently should i panic and (laughs) And, uh, but I, like, I could see that it was Jack White, like, later on in the email, and so I tried to sign up. I don't know why, because it's in London, and I was, like, not going to fly to London for this, so. Right. But, yeah, yeah, it wasn't anything I could get to anyway. Well, there was, uh, uh, somebody in the, uh, who wrote for The Guardian did go, and I just thought I'd just read her account here, because it's really funny, and the title of the headline is Jack White's Secret London Gig, colon, Surgical Masks, Dry Ice, and Disease, is the headline. <laughs> The article continues, the subheader, late on Wednesday night, Jack White's fans were summoned to a dark medical research center off of the Strand for a sinister, immersive theater show with Punch Drunk. Laura Barton of The Guardian slipped on a surgical gown and caught the fever. The phone call came yesterday. Hello, said a calm female voice. (laughs) It's Tabitha from Viscovo & Co. I believe you would like to make an appointment? Visit the website of Viscovo & Co. and you will read all about a company established in 1926 as an international health protection agency, charitably funded by the Knights of Malta. In truth, however, Viscovo & Co., with its offers of, quote, free contagious and infectious disease testing, end quote, and talk of pathogens, viruses, and fungi, was an elaborate front for a collaboration between Jack White and the Punch Drunk Theater Company, famed for its remarkable immersive theater events that involved such delights as ballet dancers, chainsaws, and collaborations with 
Damon Albarn and Adam Curtis that culminated last night at a secret London show. A little after 11 p.m., a text directed me to an anonymous office block on Arundel Street, just off the Strand in central London. Fans stood incongruously on the pavement, looking at the glare of the foyer. Many were there alone, and several had traveled from outside the city, thrilled by this curious goose chase. We were summoned inside, where music by Chet Baker and Dave Brubeck played in the empty lobby. Two crisp officials took names, handed out numbered wristbands, and instructed us to fill out a form that signed away all our rights to our internal organs. Oh my god. I'm worried about the sudden death part, said one patient, frowning at the small print. <laughs> a solemn blonde woman in a pussy bow blouse gave us surgical masks and inspected our hands before we took the lift up to another floor to meet Dr. Fleming. Far out. Anyway, the show ends with Jack being a wheeled away in a stretcher by nurses, <laughs> and all the band members were tipped to tits in head surgical gear. They had the little stuff on their shoes and just all over the place. Um, what a what a wacky guy! <laughs> oh my god! Did, all right, so there was a YouTube video called "The Truth About Vescovo." <laughs> Which is a which is an official Jack White thing. A message from Nurse Hopper. I am Nurse Nancy Hopper, the last survivor of the outbreak at Viscovo and Co.'s London Clinic. <laughs> I don't have long left, but wanted you to know the truth. You are receiving this message because you appear on the Viscovo database and may be at risk. Here is the only footage I could salvage from that night. Be careful. And then there's a video, the truth about Viscovo, and it's a minute and forty eight seconds long, with fake doctors fake nurses a fake hospital and it's f-ing wild can you imagine that today <laughs> and then you you can actually see jack white getting on the on the gurney yeah. in this the details in that guardian article go on from there it's quite lengthy anyone who wants to continue reading that should it's really funny also everybody in the audience looks like they have n95 surgical masks yep which i want to say in retrospect oh boy yep <laughs> Wish they saved those. Wish they saved them. Yeah, foot coverings and everything. I, I Again, that article goes into more depth. Very, very interesting. So we'll get into why that happened. And, you know, we talked a little bit about what a Lazaretto means. But first, we'll get into the details of the release here. So the um, there was a an Ultra LP. This was an Ultra LP release in addition to its digital and CD versions. Mm-hmm. Jack, why don't you tell me about the original idea behind what uh, I think you're calling the Ultra LP? Yeah, uh, while we were mixing the record, uh, I started to get ideas about the design of the LP and what we could do differently that hadn't been done before. And we've put them through our whole creative hive here and and talked to the uh, pressing plant to see what things we could get away with and what we could try to pull off. And we've pulled off a lot of interesting ideas, all contained in this one LP we're going to call the Ultra LP. Many, many, many special features on this Ultra LP. I'll go through a few of them here. Side A plays from the inside out. So to start side one, where are, you, where are we going to put the needle down? Well, any average Myrmidon would pick the needle up and start it here at the edge of the record on the outside. 
and just sit down and hope for the best. That's not what we're doing here. But not with this Ultra LP. You begin side A on the inside of the record and it plays outwards. The dead wax area on side A contains a hand-etched hologram by Tristan Duke of Infinity Light Science. The first of its kind on any vinyl record. There are hidden songs on the thing. There's an alternate intro for just one drink. I'll get into that a little bit more when we get to the actual song description. There's a hidden 56 second untitled track on side A that's an uncredited reworking of Pusher Man by Curtis Mayfield that you have to play on 78 RPM over the label to hear. And we actually did talk about that on one of our episodes in the past. I remember hearing um, Pusher Man. Mm-hmm. As I look at the uh, center label right here, I see some funny business going on uh, underneath that label. What can you tell me about that? Uh, During the second album for The Dead Weather that Third Man released a few years ago, I asked if it was possible for us to hide a song underneath the label. Uh, United Pressing Plant came back with a test that had the the song underneath the label with the label pressed into it, of course. But the song was not hidden. The paper of the label became sucked into the grooves of that hidden song. And... You can still play the song by just playing through the paper, dropping the needle on the label and playing the song through the paper, and you can hear the music. A little bit of scratchiness. This we called Under Label Groove, and we were the first people to ever do it. Uh, Lazaretto has hidden songs underneath both labels on both sides of the LP. The cool thing about the underlabel grooves on both side A and side B, on side A, the underlabel grooves are at 78 RPM, and on side B, the underlabel grooves are at 45 RPM, leaving this as an LP that has three different speeds on it, something that we're pretty sure has not been done before. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's no knowing unless you go through every record every made. Uh, of the Ultra LP, Jack told the Nashville scene, take something recently, like this Ultra LP we're putting out. We were going to make that no matter what, whether people are interested in it or not. <laughs> it was still Good. going to exist. We know whenever we do anything like that, that some people are going to think it's really cool and some people are going to think it's gimmicky and won't dig it and it doesn't really matter to us. We just want something to exist like that and we will make it happen. We always say, we could just do it. Just put out a record. Or you can make an album cover like that. You can go on stage like that. You can do it like this. And I'm always interested in seeing what I can get out of the presentation of things. I love to obfuscate people and to make them think, oh, that's just a gimmick, and then they can't see past it. So lots of special things about this Ultra LP. There was also a vault edition of the Ultra LP. You know, had a different cover. There was a black and white version of the cover that had some ghostly auras emanating from the angel statues. The record itself was a blue and white split. James, do you, do you have the vault version of this one? Were you a vault member at this time? No, I was I was not uh I was not. I think I'd gotten my first vault like a year later. Yeah. After this in 2015. I wish I got it in retrospect. I just should have. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's cool looking. Although the Ultra LP itself is equally great. Yeah. And uh what Jack White's saying is making me start to believe that he's a, uh, a founding member of Guar. Uh, because what What if I go on stage dressed as a giant monster with a giant penis? I don't know. 
No one, what, whether you're interested in it or not, what if I do it? I don't know, Jack. The Jackson's making a big comeback today. It, I'm sorry about that. It is. No, you know what? It's making a comeback, and I was noticing myself doing it because this particular era of Jack is Jackson ripe. Um, yeah. He's peak, let's call him Peak Jack at this point. <laughs> <laughs> in like a oh, fun boy. way though so that yeah no he's doing wacky things he's doing stuff that he like he, he would become known for it's, yeah. yeah it's it's him doing it's him doing him just right right so there was also a 40 page hardcover book released with the vault version and a uh, fold-out poster of a national archives photo that appears throughout the album art as well as a seven inch of demos recorded while jack was on tour in mexico uh, and I'll get into those more as we go on in the uh, in the track by track. But we'll go through some more album details here. It was recorded at Third Man Studio in Nashville, both the first and second iterations of those recordings. The album has about a 40-minute runtime, although I found this very funny. The Ultra LP's total length is officially unlisted and can only be approximated by digitizing the record. Because there are the hidden tracks and stuff uh, and, yeah. and the, and the run-out grooves. So technically it's eternal. <laughs> <laughs> good on you jack the whole thing was produced by jack uh, of producing this record jack told nashville scene with everything i've been involved in i've always tried to make every song have its own personality i'm really bored with albums where everything sounds the same or it sounds like it was all written together even in a two-piece band like the white stripes i've tried very hard to make every song sound like its own personality i know it's a lot harder to do that in the white stripes setting than it is now with a band with, say, eight people in a room recording, but I'm glad that this was even more select. When you're in a band, it's the same people playing the same instruments, but in this scenario, with an album like Lazaretto, I can ask someone to play an instrument they don't normally play, or to play in a style they don't normally play. Yeah. What was once a scary notion of having that many people as hired guns, like when I produced an album like Wanda Jackson's record, when you had 12 people in the room, horn sections, string sections, and a rock and roll section, where that was a scary notion, that became the setup for me in how I arranged Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. I was able to figure out how to produce in that style, and I hadn't really attempted that before in any other production. I wonder if he cribbed that kind of mentality a little bit from Blanche, because... A lot of what Blanche does is giving people instruments that they've never played before and having them play it. You know, I didn't think about that, but that makes a lot of sense. It, it draws a, a more direct line between Wanda Jackson's record and his solo material in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it, it does feel like a, an extension of his solo stuff. It does. It does. Yeah, in a lot of ways. So uh, technical credits. This one was mixed by Jack and Joshua V. Smith, recorded by Joshua V. Smith and Mindy Watts. It was released on Third Man Records in association with XL Recordings and Columbia. So, again, you know, they kind of do an a la carte thing. Whoever wants to handle some of the distribution or whatever, they go to these different labels and kind of, you know, either, I don't know if it's a competition or what. I mean, Blackwell got into that with us a little bit in, in his interviews with us, but uh, in this case, it was XL and Columbia. It was manufactured at United Record Pressing because, of course, this album predates Third Man Pressing. It was published as uh, third string tunes for every track, mastered by Bob Ludwig at Gateway Mastering in Portland, Maine. The uh, vinyl was mastered entirely from analog sources with no additional compression used, which they make a point of saying. On. <laughs> uh, third Face LLC holds the copyright, 
okay, learned that one. Lazaretto is de- so. This is interesting. So the the Lazaretto dedications. Do you know anything about these, James? I don't remember them, but maybe you can jog my memory. Let's see. All right. So these are far out. The album is dedicated to Florence Green, Volterine Declare. I think I'm pronouncing that right, and somebody named Amazing Grace Hopper. So Florence Green's bio. I'm, uh, uh, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Yeah, Florence, world's last World War One veteran, Florence Green, died at age 110 in 2012. She was a member of the Royal Air Force, the Women's Royal Air Force, uh, born in Edmonton, London. Uh, she served as an officer's mess steward in 1918, around the uh, 1918 flu pandemic. Anyway, yeah, she was 110. She was a septuagenarian and just one of 10 living in the United Kingdom, all of whom were women. She was the last surviving uh, World War One veteran. Huh. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was very interesting to get to know different people. You learned a lot of different things. Yeah, and they were all very nice people. Yeah. I had a good time, really. Volterine declares bio an American anarchist known for being a prolific writer and speaker who opposed state power, the capitalism she saw interconnected with it, and marriage, and the domination of religion over sexuality and women's lives. She is often characterized as a major early feminist because of her views. Uh, she was born and raised in small towns in Michigan. And schooled in uh, Sarnia, Sarnia, Ontario Catholic Convent. Declare became. I like that book series. You know, <laughs> the, the Sarnia book series. Right. Grace Hopper's bio: an American computer scientist and United States Navy Rear Admiral, one of the first programmers of the Harvard Mark I computer. She was a pioneer of computer programming who invented one of the first linkers. She popularized the idea of machine-independent programming language, which led to the development of COBOL, an early high-level programming language still in use today. Jack said of the dedication, Yeah, Florence Green. She was the last surviving participant of World War I. I wrote her name down to think about her as a possible character for one of the songs on the record. I can't remember if I actually applied that to someone or not. It was so fast. Jack continues on here, Anyhow... These were people that came up when I was thinking about characters, and they had incredible lives, but incredible lives in strange ways. One of them's a sort of anarchist or fighter for freedom. Grace Hopper was an amazing scientist and mathematician for the Navy. I was dedicating the record, and I thought, these names are still here. I'm going to dedicate it to them. The album starts off with three women, and I guess it ends with three women. It just made sense. (laughs) Well, I wish I could tell you just what my three women do Yeah, I wish I could tell you just what my three women do But if I open my mouth, well, that'll be three women that I lose Yeah, now I know what you're thinking, what gives me the right Lord, 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 Lord,
that via The Guardian, White admits that he barely knows more than a paragraph's biography on each of them, but he jotted their names down at various points in the recording process. But we'll move on here to the title, Art and Design, as we talked about a little bit at the top. The title, very topical. A Lazaretto is essentially a a quarantine hospital, hospital, you know, or or quarantine island or something like that. And uh, it's a beautiful sounding word, too, Lazaretto, coming from Lazarus, I guess. And... uh, uh, this is the only thing that I know on this album that I really uh, put in there of my own personality. I, in this, and there's a song called Black Bat Licorice, too, in the, where I talk about being confined in a prison or a hospital. Yeah. And that's why I named the album Lazaretto, is that that really is me personally, uh, my sort of fantasy that I, I sort of, I wish that I would, some other forces, powers that be, would, would push me ah. in a scenario for a month and lock me somewhere instead of me doing it to myself all the time. I'm always self-imposing ah. restrictions on myself. And so I guess my oh. fantasy all the time is, oh, it'd be so nice to be in no. a quarantine hospital. <laughs> but, you know, not to die from that, but just <laughs> oh, to know that I had to have to stay here for two months and I can't do anything. So, Oh. No, Jack, No. No, your words came back to you. It came true. Don't let... Yeah, it came true. And you know what he's doing with his time? He's upholstering. He's upholstering couches with his time. I mean, it's pretty... probably recording you... nine albums as well. But And also doing camera trickery. Did you see the, the couch thing that he posted? He was like, I think I'm going to reupholster this. I'm, I'm on the fence about whether I'm going to reupholster this couch. It's a big one. And he's, he posted a few pictures of him of him next to this couch. And then like... A few hours later, he posted, gotcha, and it was like a, a picture. He was like, I decided against it, uh, and it was a couch that was like six inches small. It was like a salesman sample, yeah. and he had just like had uh, like it on a tripod and like photographed himself standing next to a wall with the couch like so that it looks full size and huge, and it was the weirdest thing, and I love it. I love it so much. Uh Every musician who's in quarantine right now, I demand they work on new music. <laughs> so art and design. So design is credited to someone named Bryce McLeod, Jack White, Nathaniel Strimpopoulos, Rob Jones, R- Ryan. I think it's Ryan or Ryan, R-Y-O-N, Nishimori, and Trent Thibodeau. Here's where I ran into some confusion. The cover. Okay. Mm-hmm. It says Mary Ellen Matthews is credited with the photography primarily. Mm-hmm. Now I looked into Mary Ellen's body of work and do you know what Mary Ellen is famous for? No. She takes all those fun photos of all the famous people who host Saturday Night Live. All those oh. like interesting still photos the and she's taken some of Jack, you know, the ones where like there's a million of him going back and all that stuff. She she takes all those yeah. like high contrast photoshoppy you know glam yeah photos the title cards right so uh but the thing is i don't really know who did it and i was talking to tam who actually did that that cover and it's it's sort of unclear whether she definitely took that or she just took some of the other ones knowing about the snl thing when you look at the cover it's you know it's jack sitting in this funky looking chair and he's surrounded by these angels and what appears to be kind of a graveyard sort of scene when you look at that and you look at the effects on it, it looks a little like those SNL title cards. So I would believe... I was going to say the contrast, everything, mm-hmm. you know, even the color options, you know, it seems very much like that. It looks consistent. So I would I would be willing to bet. But Tam, I was talking to Tam Davis, our third person in Spirit Every Week, said that she had remembered somebody saying that Rob Jones 
had something to do with it. And Rob Jones is credited as some of the design on here. So I reached out to friend of the show, Rob Jones, and he got back to us saying that he had nothing to do with that cover. So it was either her or somebody else who's credited this Bryce McLeod, uh, Nathaniel Strimpopoulos or uh, Ryan Nishimori I, or Trent Thibodeau. I don't know. Um, but we're going to do a little more digging on that. So I don't know where that photo was taken either, but I have a lead. So, okay, before you get to your lead, Paul, the email to Rob Jones, the one that he sent us, is there any way we can market that as a song? <laughs> <laughs> Quick, we got to get that money. Gotta, just take the money, Paul. Just take the money. You can take the just money. Just take the money. You can take the money. <laughs> Why don't you take the money? Obviously, we would be crediting his production company or whatever. But yeah, uh, uh, Ikataris, Ikatatis Music. Yeah, I think that's it. Ikatatis, yeah. Um, So I have a lead on where the photo was taken, but I don't know. (sighs) There's that photo that Johnny Depp took in the same wherever they are. I don't know where they are. It looks a little like a graveyard. It looks a little like a courtyard. It, it could be any number of things, but it's in Jack's house, and he also has a dad joke about it. He goes, "This is where I go into my depth," and uh, it's it's just where he keeps Johnny Depp in his house, <laughs> tied up. Now there is photos of somebody else there. So what I did was I tracked down the photographer who took that set of photos, and I found his agent. And I reached out to him, not for an interview, but just to ask where that was. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> so um, he's like, oh, man, I got a I got a new email. Let me check this. Where did you take this photo? <laughs> Delete. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy named Bruce Weber. And it was for a Johnny Depp interview with Interview Magazine conducted by Mr. Iggy Pop. And we know oh. Iggy and Jack are friends. So it's very possible very possible that that could be jack's house i doubt it but it's possible Mm, it seems too cemetery like we'll wait to hear back uh from mr Mm. weber and and hopefully uh find out more about that but um the vinyl was pressed in a flat edged format and the cd was released in a jewel case with a booklet uh, featuring images by uh, joe mccaffrey uh lewis hine alfred Sang and F.C. Gundlock. Uh, A lot of those were old-timey, like, uh, you know, what are it called? Tin-plated photos? What did we learn from Brandy St. John? Tin-type? Tin-type photographs. Tin-type, yeah. So, that's all the background on Lazaretto. Why don't we save the track-by-track for next week? Or next Yeah, we just do the complete track-by-track next week. Why not? We've never done that before. We've never just not done the track by track, but that was a lot of information we just plowed through. It was a lot. You did a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot more uh, that I just didn't get to because you could spend seven calendar years looking into Lazaretto's interviews. But okay, so we'll save that for part two. And uh, James, why don't we throw it to our third person this week? What do you say? Let's do it. Let's throw it to that third person. We are on with Derek Ferguson. Derek, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. That's very nice of you. Derek for her, forever for Ferguson. Forever for Ferguson. Is, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I love it. The name is great. 
It was better than anything we would have done. Yeah, really. no, seriously. It's so good to have you on here. You were a recent listener, it seems, and we appreciate it so very much. You sent uh, such a nice email, and uh, yeah, we're so happy to have you on here. Thanks a lot. That's really nice. I didn't want to be presumptuous, but I like listening. I've been listening for a couple months now and catching up. And uh, oh, That's great. Hey, presume away. It'd be cool to share some stories or just talk about the love of the music, you know? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've done this from time to time where, uh, you know, we've had uh, some listeners on that can tell their stories of how they got into Jack. You reached out to us with some cool ideas, you know, to kind of walk through your fandom. And it comes at an episode where we're talking about the album Lazaretto, which is, as we've talked about in the episode, James, this is the point, I think, where our fandom of Jack kind of reached its uh, zenith before we kind Mm -hmm. of decided to uh, make a podcast out of our weird thought scribblings. Um, but uh, but Derek, why don't you give us a little walkthrough about how you got to know uh, the Jack White world and where you were first, uh, let, let's call it, exposed to the Jack pathogen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fully infected, yeah. When were you first a bald rocket? <laughs> That's perfect. Um, actually, when Lazaretto came out, I was honestly in a little bit of a wane, like... I, of course, was excited for the uh, the solo albums. And I remember when Lazaretto was coming out, they released that clip of Highball Stepper, I think it was. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, holy smokes, new Jack White. This is so epic. And I was like super excited. But um, I don't know. I listened to like the Jack White albums, like I'd say not as intensely as the White Stripes ones and like the Tours and Dead Weather. I remember when I first got into it, I was sitting there and I had never heard of the White Stripes before and like... Like, I knew nothing about them. I was sitting in my living room. I remember the moment. It was, like, a Saturday night. I was sitting in my living room. Like, I think I was working on some project, like, sitting on the living room floor and, uh, mm-hmm. like, working on some craft thing or something. And I was watching mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. And uh, the White Stripes were the guests that night. And they... Oh, wow. Yeah. And they started performing. And they came out and launched into Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. They played live. I remember when... Uh, that girl got busted for lip syncing on Saturday Night Live. Do you remember yeah. that? At- Jamie Lynn Spears. It wasn't Jamie Lynn Spears. What? It was it was uh, uh, Jessica Simpson's sister, uh, Ashley, Ashley Simpson. Ashley Simpson. Uh. And then she did the hoedown. We all remember the hoedown. Yeah. And then we crucified that poor girl for some reason. <laughs> Why'd we do that, guys? That's some I mean, children I'd- of the corn <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Millie Vanilli moment. She kind of got in trouble for that, but I remember. Um, her saying, like, everybody does it, you know, what's the big deal? And I remember Jack White being quoted as saying, like, well, when we were on, we didn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that performance, and it was back when he, it was, like, pretty early, and he was still doing that voice where he would sound, like, just kind of odd, you know, that voice he would put on sometimes. The Ethel Merman, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I remember he's looking all, like, frizzed out, his hair's all frizzy, they're in the red, white, and peppermint and stuff. Yeah, And he's like basically talking his verses with that weird voice and then launching into those choruses and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Like, right. And he's like throwing his body around on live TV. And I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. And then I wish I had seen that live, by the way. I I haven't I've seen it subsequently. But, you know, there's nothing like kind of being caught by surprise by one of those acts, especially when you're not expecting it. Yeah. You're you're lucky to have caught it. Yeah, it's pretty tough to find online too, but I found it like in one source and you can still revisit it if you look. Mm-hmm. Um but then I think they did a We're Gonna Be Friends as well, and that was like Meg playing like very simply and Jack uh you know, but the Dead Leaves and the Dirty, the Dirty Ground really blew me away. And I, I was thinking like, man, these guys are just up there with like a guitar, it's a two piece, like 
this is insane. And just the amount of music there and energy they were able to convey with like a simple setup was, I was like, this guy, he's just taking, cause I played guitar and I'm like, he's just taking his guitar and like really, I don't know, making a lot of music, you know, fighting it. He's battling it. <laughs> and then this was in the days of LimeWire. So I went to LimeWire and I, I downloaded a few tracks. Now, how many, how many Bill Clinton clips did you get going, uh, advertising <laughs> to you that he is not a crook and you should also download this other thing that's probably a virus? Because I downloaded, like, a million of those. I don't remember Bill Clinton, but I remember my, my desktop computer getting very slow at the time, so I'm <laughs> yeah. sure I got my share of viruses. I felt like a, a like an ER surgeon or something with my computer at the time. Just It was being attacked from many different forms of citrus and pornography and everything just at once <laughs> Paul, and i just I, felt like triage nurse i really thought that kiss and ringo star did a show together at some point in time <laughs> limewire told me they did and why would they lie <laughs> why would limewire lie yeah that was good to get music but uh very that computer slowed slowed and eventually died for sure <laughs> but um I, I remember downloading dead leaves in the dirty ground and i can learn there might have been a few others you guys remember i can learn oh yeah burnt cds at the time this was like <laughs> early 2000s so i had, yeah. i was driving around in my car listening to this like burnt cd and then um i just listened to dead leaves in the dirty ground like 300 times like over the course of a couple weeks like oh my god this is crazy and then i can learn blew my mind as well and i was like man these guys are good so then i went and bought the cd and then i got into the white stripes and fell into their catalog and I remember shortly after that, I was like, I don't know, I really love these bands and this music. Like, I should probably buy their CDs and stop using LimeWire. Like, I actually want them to have, you know, 15 of my dollars or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The CDs right. are pretty awesome. Yeah. How scratched are those CDs these days? Yeah, I, I have my old uh, burnt copy of Elephant, I think, from 2003. I think I wrote White Elephant on it because yep. I didn't know what it was at the time. <laughs> and it's just scratched as it's probably missing a few tracks. Just. Well, I remember my friends being taken aback by how awful I was to all of my CDs, my burnt CDs specifically, because I just had stacks and stacks in my car because I needed all of my music in my car before USBs. And so I would just have them on the floor of the passenger seat and I would dig through them and find the one I want and like toss the one that was in the CD player just in the back seat. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm getting a CD. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Downloading LimeWire, destroying computers, taking burnt yeah. CDs, destroying them, destroying my car. I destroyed a lot of things in my... Yeah. Yeah. Jack attacked his guitar. I attacked everything else. So from there, you've seen some live shows as well. Yeah. Um, my first show I saw, of course, I became a huge fan and like got in, like bought their albums. And then um, I remember shortly after, or was it shortly before? I think it was, no, shortly after Get Behind Me Satan came out. He was there. I guess they were touring, and um, there was this pop-up show, or they announced on their website or whatever that they were going to play the Glass House in Pomona, California. Are you guys familiar? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know that show you're talking about. 
Yeah, and I had been there like once before for like a Long Beach Dub All Stars show. And, yeah, and they have a lot of bands, and I thought, wow, that's a really small venue. Like, I need to go to that show. So you saw the White Stripes kind of in their prime. Oh basically. my god, yeah, it was epic. Like, I remember, I, of course, they sold out. So I go, and these tickets literally had a face value on them of twenty dollars, and it's just general admission. There's like, it's just like that. That venue is a capacity of eight hundred people. Yeah. And, and um, so I went on eBay, of course, and I got some tickets. Somebody was selling them for like $100 a piece. So I bought two of them and took a friend. And then we went wow. there. And um, it was totally worth it, of course. Like, I remember getting there early and f- filing in. And we were like in the third or fourth row back of the standing area. And I remember seeing his road crew like walking around in the suits and the red ties and the hats. And I was like, <laughs> wow, these guys are like, these guys are onto something. Like, this is kind of different. I, you know, I didn't realize they were doing it that early, actually, with the, the crew dressed like that. What year are we talking? This is, you said the Elephant Tour, or is this? I think um, Get Behind Me Satan came out June 2005, and the ticket stub, I still have the ticket stub, it says July 20th, no, July 28th, 2005. That makes sense, because, yeah, he was starting to polish up his tour act. He wasn't uh, driving around in a van anymore at this point. <laughs> he had a, yeah, and I think you guys there. you guys covered the Elephant Tour recently, and they, they were in pretty... Uh, you know, pretty heavy, pretty heavy form at that time. I haven't really thought about when that changeover happened because the one and only time James and I ever saw the Stripes, yeah, there was that kind of pomp and circumstance around the roadies, and we remember the the tour buses and things. And I, I you know, I always wondered kind of when that switched over from garage band guys, you know, just sort of piling out of a van to the suits and the ties and stuff. So. All right, we have confirmation that the suits and the ties were there for Satan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We'll have to work backwards from here and uh, sleuth it out. Yeah, and then um, the, there's a hidden track actually on the under Blackpool lights, and I think that was the Elephant Tour. There's an Easter egg on there. Yeah, I, I seem to remember hearing about. Yeah, that. and it's it's Jack doing like a, a suit checkup on the road crew. He's like working oh. <laughs> with the clipboard and he's like inspecting their their jackets and their hats and stuff. Okay. All right. So we have confirmation now for elephant. Yeah. <laughs> that's when that's when things went off the rails. All right. Cool. <laughs> I've never found the Easter egg, uh, although I haven't looked very hard. But I've owned that under Blackpool lights since it came out. I bought I it know. from Best Buy, like directly, and then it went out of print for a while. And it was worth a lot of money. I'm like, maybe I should sell this, and now it's back in print. But yeah, my copy is one of those European versions that doesn't uh, play on American players, and so <laughs> I just I just sort of have it and look at it periodically. Yeah, I still got mine from buying it at that time. Yeah, it's it was one of those things where I saw it and I couldn't I just couldn't pass it up because I was like, this is different and it's probably uh, not official. It turned out to be very official, but uh, yeah, it was man, what a show! That DVD is excellent. I think yeah. we learned that during that it was it was recorded over two nights, and there is messages or um, something written differently yeah. on Jack's cast in it's, each of the nights. It's on his arm. He wrote uh, oh, crap. Something to Meg. I, I forget what it was. We went over. She, it, but she wrote. She wrote noxious on the first yes. night. Oh right, and then right. obnoxious on the uh, the other night. Yeah, and you can tell as you're watching it, you're like, why does it keep changing? But, yeah, but that's why. <laughs> Turns out it was put together over a couple nights at least. So when you when you saw him, did he have the mustache? Do you remember? Oh, um, was he in the thick of that, of that I think Jack? He, I think he... Um, you know what? I think at that time he did not. No, I saw him later and he was in full mustache form. But um, at that time, I don't recall that with the big jacket and the... 
yeah. the straw hat shape, but I really regret not. I mean, I regret not seeing the stripes all the time, but like I really, really regret not seeing that form of Jack White and his hair. I think he may have like a a, a thinner sort of uh, facial hair, yeah, but, but still there. He came out in the jacket with the medals on it, and um, I mm-hmm. remember the things I remember about that show is that. I was thinking, like, I just want to hear Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. If they play that, I'll be happy. <laughs> and I, I remember them coming out very fast. Like, the lights went down, and they, like, almost sprinted up the, like, stairs onto the stage, like, mm-hmm. at a half jog. They came up, he grabbed his guitar, turned it up, and, like, banged out a few uh, distorted chords, kind of, like, on under black cool lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he went straight into Blue Orchid. awesome killed it and then um and then right from that he went straight into dead leaves in the dirty ground and i was like oh my god this is awesome you but did it, it. and you then got, you went home you got what yeah. you came for yeah. 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 <laughs> and it was did he really bust great... out the marimba did he did you get the the nurse and the marimba on that one um he may have but i don't recall any marimba songs honestly yeah it's pretty wild watching him go crazy on that thing in the um under amazonian lights where he's whacking at the thing with those big ass sticks you know yeah i just saw that for the first time recently that was really cool under amazonian lights mm, yeah but um I, I also remember there was a time where they played uh ugly as i seem yeah like when the in between songs i would yell out jackie like I, I was just going crazy like yeah and then i remember one time in between like he wasn't paying any attention like not acknowledging it but then i was like maggie and then Meg laughed. I remember she was sitting on the ground with the congas, like looking at Jack because they were going to play or had just played Ugly As I Seem. And she laughed and she looked at Jack, like smiled, but he didn't pay any attention. And then he just proceeded. I thought that That's was cool. Great. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Last thing about that show is I remember they closed with Bull Weevil, which was really cool. I don't think I had heard that song at that point, but they closed with that with the sing-along. And then I remember just walking away from that, like, mouth agape, like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And just, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever left a show feeling that feeling, like you just saw some yeah. art oh, and yeah. you're like, man, that was amazing. Almost every time I see Jack White, th- there were like a couple exceptions during Boarding House Reach, I think, when I, d- I didn't have that exact feeling. But most 
most times when I've seen a Jack White show, I've left feeling like, wow, I would have paid three three times more, <laughs> ten times more. Right. Like this was like an amazing experience. Uh, fel- face melting, I believe, is is what everybody says. But the White Stripes especially have that effect. And everybody who has seen the White Stripes, I think, will have a similar kind of takeaway from the show and feel a- as if they were you know, one of the sole audience members and as if it were a, uh, a religious experience. It, it's a hell of a time to see a band uh, that yeah. doesn't exist. Who said that? That was, I forget who it was. I forget who it was, but they said that, you know, Jack could be in this room of countless people and he always feels like he's singing right to you. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was Co. You know, I always get that impression. He's, he's He wears his heart on his sleeve. He feels that music inside and out. And... The audience is such an important part of the show to him that I feel like that translates to that personal feeling. I remember the biggest buzz I ever got from a Jack show was right after that Madison Square Garden yeah. performance in in 2015. All of us chanting at the at the yeah side. the Seven Nation Army was as we were pouring the crowds are pouring out of Madison Square Garden into the streets of New York City in the dead of winter in Jan what, was it January something like that. And everyone's singing out into the streets, and you could just hear it for blocks. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. That's awesome, Madison Square Garden. That sounds cool. We saw the Stripes at Madison Square Garden as well, and it's not an ideal location to see the White Stripes. I, I wish we we could have seen them at a non-arena show, but at the same time, that feeling was still there, even in a space that big. I agree with Paul though. That feeling at the end was everybody singing the Seven Nation Army theme, which I think our claim to fame at uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion when we saw Jack White solo is we started that chant for the encore. We were very <laughs> we were very proud of ourselves. Um, a, a bit too proud, you might say. Uh, yeah, no, something one should not be proud of because it would have started anyway, but we, we were the impetus to that. So, Derek, you took a tour of Third Man in Nashville that was conducted by Ben Blackwell? Yeah, that was amazing. That was just recent. That was, uh, let me see, I still have the ticket stuff. I went and saw Jack, no, the Rackin' Tours in, um, what's it called, uh, at the Ryman in Nashville last Oh, wow. Last Fantastic. August. Yeah. yeah. It was opening night, but anyway, the next, I think it was the next day we went, and um, we went to Third Man, and I was like, yeah, we got to get there early so we can get a tour. But we didn't get there very early. There were a lot of people in town, I think, because the Rack and Tours were playing a three night stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we get there and they're like, oh, sorry, we're all sold out. And I was like, oh, man, we'll, we'll have to come earlier tomorrow. But we're shopping around in the store and then, like, all these people are getting together and he's, they're saying it's like time for the tour. And then um, I didn't realize it was Ben Blackwell at the time, but it was him in his, like, black suit and yellow tie for the third man thing. Yeah. He was just like getting the people together and like time for the tour. Let's go. And I'm, I see him there. and I'm like, oh, man, can we go like me and my girlfriend? Can you add two more? And then he like he was kind of teasing me a little bit and give me a hard time. But he, <laughs> <laughs> but he let us come on. And uh, yeah, we toured. We got the backstage, like the back tour. And um, he said he said he usually doesn't do them anymore. But he was he came in to do a couple tours just to help because uh, there were actually more people than usual. So that was kind of a stroke of good luck. That's awesome. Really cool. Yeah, he took us back in the where the they like made the direct to acetate behind the blue room stage. And, nice. Uh, oh, that's great. And the back in the shipping area, and uh, I, we walked by Jack White's Tesla, and I was like, I had seen that Instagram <laughs> post where they're sitting in the Tesla earlier, and I'm like, he's like, ask any questions. I'm like, was that Jack White's Tesla? And he's like, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's really good. Yeah. Have you seen any shows in the Blue Room specifically, or did, were you just there for the Ryman? No, that was our first time there. And uh, like I said, I used to live on the West Coast, so just because we were in Florida, and it was my birthday actually at, around that time, so we took oh, nice. a little trip to Nashville and saw the show. The store is a lot smaller than I imagined it being. However, it didn't take away from any of the magic when I was there. I wish I could have seen it more personally. I, I didn't even, when I was there, I was there for the 10 year anniversary. And I stepped foot in the store, but there was such a huge line to get in that I really didn't have a time to like look around. Did you pick up any any rarities or anything while you were there? Um, I didn't buy any records. I just recently got a record player again. I had some records from like a decade ago, but I got a bunch of pins and stickers, a couple t-shirts, and they, they were having a sale, so that was cool. We got some t-shirts, pins, stickers, and then um, I, I made a record too in the record booth that Neil Young oh, made his, his album in. I recorded. They have a guitar there, like for anybody can play. So I had a tune. Oh, that's app. the one Brendan uses, I think. In oh, the, the, video. the the big yellow one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. That's awesome. What song? I have to ask. I did. Uh, we are going to be friends. Okay. Hey. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I was kind of nervous, and like you only get one take, and it's like twenty bucks, but it was awesome. <laughs> it's worth it. That's yeah. that's a, that's twenty dollars well spent. Absolutely. If this was two thousand and five, I would have spent a hundred dollars on eBay <laughs> for that opportunity. Yeah, I would have went on LimeWire to download that opportunity <laughs> <laughs> for free. <laughs> I would have given my computer a terminal illness for that opportunity. <laughs> um, so you, you've seen the Raconteurs you mentioned, uh, you, you've seen the White Stripes. You, have you seen uh, Jack White solo? And Yeah, I saw, I've seen the Raconteurs like a few times and the White Stripes a few times, but I've seen Jack White solo one time and it was, it was awesome. That was at and the, that was on the Lazaretto tour you mentioned. Um, Let's see, I can tell you the date. It was Jack White at the Shrine Auditorium in LA on August 11, 2012. Oh, okay, Blunderbuss, great. Yeah, great. and that was amazing. I re- the thing I remember about that is uh, he just came out, killed it. It was the, I was kind of hoping for the female band, but the I think it was the male band. Cause yeah, it, the buzzards. Yeah. yeah, I remember the songs were just full, like full instrumentation. They played Hotel Yorba and it was had this big bass line and... It was just very full, like, uh, with all the musicians on it, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, a very, very full sound in general for Blunderbuss and the Lazaretto tours. I mean, Lazaretto's kind of boiled down, but basically the Lazaretto group is just the buzzards with Lily May. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what that boils down to. But in doing some of this research for the Lazaretto shows, we're working on... I've been watching a lot of those performances again, and man, I miss that group. <laughs> I really do. Oh, it's such a good, because it's a mix of the familiar, you know, because you have Dominic up there who knows Jack, and you have these other people, they've been playing with each other for a while, but you also have Lily May in there, and Corey outs for like those three songs he plays on. <laughs> it's just, uh, oh, I miss those arrangements. Those are really nice. Yeah, that band really got tight and uh, high energy and just put on a lot of good sets. Yeah. Another thing about that one is I remember they did Ball and Biscuit. Again, just very full. You know, the thing about Jack is he just puts out a ton of energy in his performances, like just channels and pumps out a lot of energy. And he was taking guitar solos. And at one time he was just killing it, like kind of had his shoulder to the crowd and or his back. And then like he plays this lick and he just flings the guitar around like he's throwing it at the audience. And I'm like, <laughs> That's right. oh my God. Yeah, some Pete Townsend shit right there. Yeah. Yeah, the Blunderbuss tour was just something like he was he was like stripes level jack at that point he was young he was 
bouncing around like he was with the stripes. You're 100% spot on. He's full of energy that, uh, you know, came back for the Lazaretto tour and to a limited extent during the, the Boarding House Reach tour. And then it, I thought it was gone until the latest Tours tour in which I saw it came back like 100%. He's bouncing around and stuff. So it was. it's a great, the Blunderbuss tour was a great solo tour to have seen. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think he played two against one. And just as a super oh, fan who knows like yes. his whole catalog, like anything he plays, like I'm pretty basically familiar with. And just like to hear that treatment with the full band after listening yes. to the stripes, you know, it was just a total treat. I went by myself. I was trying to get friends to go and nobody could make it. It was kind of short notice, but I just went by myself and had an awesome time to hear something. Yeah, like, Two against one. Can you imagine that? I, I, I did. I heard it. I heard uh, he performed two against one at one of the shows on that tour. I saw, I forget which one, but oh, nice. I remember thinking, holy shit. <laughs> Like, because that was one of those songs that happened before his solo career kind of happened. And I remember feeling as though I was sort of catching these stray things out there by him. This The Rome soundtrack and, and these, these other little things, Great Gatsby, whatever, Wanda Jackson. And then to hear those integrated into a larger set, it made me feel as though... It's like uh, any any silly continuity thing with a franchise you enjoy uh, like it was so gratifying to have my fandom validated by hearing these random fucking things <laughs> that i knew about And that was what I was ultimately kind of let down about about the Boarding House Reach Tour, because he didn't do that. I mean, I think the biggest divergence was $3 Hat the one time he played it. Mm. And I, I wish that there was more of that. But I, I have a feeling we're going to get some more of those deep cuts again. The, the it, deep cuts are what I want to hear. It would be as if Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker had mentioned Lumpy the Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or, was, or was uniquely about the Wilford Brimley character yeah. in the Ewoks live-action films. Like, that's... That's what I'm after these days. That's the, that's what I get off on. The ex- Yeah, the esoteric Wilford Brimleys of the Jack White world. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly... If you had to choose your favorite of his catalog, an album, if you have to pick an album that is your top Jack album, any band, any iteration, what would it be? Uh, probably his whole catalog. Well, that's a cheat, <laughs> sir. That is a cheat. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. That's really tough, man, because um, at the time, like as it was evolving from uh, White Blood Cells through uh, Elephant, Get Behind Me, Satan. Maybe, I, honestly, I mean, you can't really exclude the tours or the Dead Weather, like, but maybe a sweet spot for me is actually Get Behind Me, Satan, because it was hey. just a, a time in my life where, you know, what was it, whatever was going on, and just listening to that thing, and I remember it 
shortly after it came out, I took a road trip on the East Coast and I just I had that CD with me and I was just driving up the coast and like playing it a bunch, you know, and yeah. learning those songs on guitar and stuff. It's just really cool. That's a favorite for me, too. It's a great choice. Yeah, yeah they were in really fine form at that, you know, the songwriting and everything. I think I counted like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven shows I've seen between the, the White wow. Stripes, Raconteurs, and Jack White. I never saw the dead weather. It's worth seeing. I like their live act quite a bit. Allison really puts on a show. Even if you're not like the biggest dead weather fan, their live performance really has a an energy to it. If they ever perform live again. But yeah, we yeah. Hope so. I would see I, them. Yeah. I just never got the chance. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, I understand. I remember I saw a street scene. There's this concert called Street Scene in San Diego. And I remember mm-hmm. um, the, it was one of those festivals and the Killers were playing at the same time. And of course, I was going to see the the White Stripes. And it was before I knew the Killers. I'm like a pretty big Killers fan now. But at the time, I didn't really know what they were. And I remember guys, it was like getting crowded. And there were other guys in the crowd telling people like, go see the Killers, go see the Killers, like trying to get people out of there, yeah. you know. And I remember he played Death Letter and I hadn't, I didn't know what that song was at the time. And I was like, this is catchy. And then I walked away like, what was that song with that guitar line? Like, and having, <laughs> having to figure it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was cool. And then um, I saw the almost acoustic Christmas show. Um, oh, cool. The K-Rock. Yeah. The K-Rock yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. We definitely got some marimba on that one. That was awesome. Hey. <laughs> that, is that, now that's on the Universal City Walk? Yeah, exactly. We love those shows because he's played that a few times, actually, over the years. Right. And maybe the Weenie Roast. I remember you guys were talking about the Weenie Roast at one point, but I never saw that one. Yeah. I I think that was on a a Christmas episode. I think at some point we talked about that. I don't remember. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) And then um, Coachella in 2007. I remember I went to the first night of Coachella. and um, Wow. They played the second night, and that was when I missed, actually. I remember going there, and the people I with were like, um, they were like, taking mushrooms and like i don't know i wasn't really into it and the water was like five dollars a bottle and i was just like i don't know this isn't such a great uh, i don't for whatever reason i wasn't feeling it and my fandom hadn't like hooked in on the white stripes i guess enough at that point so i was like i'll sit it out like uh which i totally regret like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard not not going to see the white stripes at coachella you know I'm mad at your past self. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> and then, um, oh, and then I'll just tell you about the show at the Ryman, the recent one. It was opening night on Nashville, and my girlfriend, she went with me, and she's not a huge, like, Jack White or Raconteurs fan. Like, she knows some stuff, and she likes it, but, you know, not like me. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I, I remember. Oh, and a normo, we call him. A normo. <laughs> yeah. <A> norm- yeah. <laughs> And I was trying to get tickets. It was sold out too. And I was like jockeying for weeks before, like trying to get the best seats at the best price on like all these sites and stuff. And then finally I got these like fourth row tickets from this guy in Nashville and I went and picked them up and I didn't know how good they were, but they were literally, actually it was like the second row, like right in the middle. And then, and then I I was just sitting there and I'm like telling my girlfriend, like, Oh my God, they're going to (laughs) come and blow this place away. Like you don't even know. She's like, oh, okay. And then. <laughs> That's nice, dear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then they, the, the lights came down and then they played that music. I think it was like Ennio Morricone or some some other, but similar music. And like it's, it reminded me of like the Imperial Death March. It was like, bomb, yeah. bomb, 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 bomb. And I was it's, like. Uh, it's from Inglorious Bastards. It's not Ennio Morricone. It's. Um, 
it's, right, it's another uh, guy. It's like Tiger something. I We looked it up one time. I, <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, oh my god. And then they came out and absolutely destroyed for like an hour and 20 minutes. It was amazing. Like like you said, he you know, returned 100% and absolutely killed it. Tiger Tank. Tiger Tank. That's it. Thank you, James. By Lalo Schifrin. Lalo Schifrin. I put it on a yeah. mix at the time and uh, on my way over to see... Oh, some f***ing band. I don't remember. Maybe it was Rackin' Toys. I, uh, I had it blasting <laughs> really loud in the car just driving through downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome music. But yeah, that was a good uh, sweep of the Rackin' Tours catalog that night. They played a lot of... They opened up with like Salute Your Solution and uh, another one off the second album. They played like uh, Broken Boy Soldier. And that was a good sweep. The second night I saw in Nashville as well. And they basically played the, the recent album. Yeah. So the first night was kind of, in my opinion, a little better. Also, uh, Bonnaroo. I went to Bonnaroo. We took a road trip as a as a youngster out to Bonnaroo and saw him there. That was like icky thump period, but wow. that was cool as well. That's amazing. I <laughs> that's we've seen the iterations a bunch, but the um, the sheer volume of White Stripes shows you've seen is uh, pretty awesome. So happy that you were able to get out to those because at the time we didn't know how fleeting they would be, and here we are. I'm so happy you got to see those. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for letting me tell about them. I remember thinking back and like, sometimes I tell people about those, like, and uh, it's always a a pleasure to look back at like that Jack White show at the shrine. Like, I don't know, whenever I think about that, I'm like, that was so cool. That's, uh, I think, literally why we do this. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We're not doing that ourselves, so... Also, uh, raconteurs at the Wiltern and Fonda were cool, too. You're in L.A. You'll, oh, you'll yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, the Fonda must have been great. Were you close at the Fonda? Um, at, no, we were actually kind of towards the back, yeah. as I recall. But that's another small venue. That was a cool show. Yeah, I, I've, I fought my way to the front on there a few times. <laughs> I think I saw the kills there. Yeah, they have a lot of cool bands there. The next day, they played a, a record store, in-store at Amoeba Records in Hollywood. And we went by there trying to get in, but it was so crowded. So we got basically up to the door and we could hear them play, but yeah. we didn't make it in for that one. Yeah, I caught the racks at Amoeba uh, this this go-around, and that was only like my second time seeing a show there. It, that is a great way to see a band, although the show was short, but it's so intimate because it's just, you're sit, standing in a record store. Yeah, there's what, like six songs or even four songs, something like God, that? Y- yeah. yeah, it was something, yeah, like five songs or something. I, I, I forget actually in this quarantine how much i miss being in a record store because it was such a big part <laughs> of my life like i was in a record store at least once a week every week and now i just buy records on ebay like some kind of a hermit yeah and uh, oh uh speaking of which barnes and noble has a pre-order for an exclusive yes, Benson. i saw that i i just uh got that one alternate album art right Yes, and a poster it comes yeah. with it. Not that I'm going to hang a poster anywhere anymore, but oh, the baby will uh, love it, James. May, yeah, maybe I'll put it in the baby's room. Uh, if there's one thing I know, babies love Brendan Benson. Brendan Benson. <laughs> I'm the richest man, Paul. That song's all about it. Um, but yeah, that, speaking of record stores, I just I was very excited. I, it's the first record I bought in quite a while. So yeah, nice. Are you guys going to get the vault package this time around with the the still? Oh, like, I gotta, yeah. I did not get the Tulsa shows, but I did uh, re-up for, excuse me, for the Destiel stuff. I don't know, the the classic White Stripes, I really, really like to see the stuff you don't get to hear every day. uh, Because 
I, I, I don't know. Me and Paul are, are the type, maybe it's because our father was really interested in, in Beatles rarities and listening to even just the studio recordings of them doing the albums. But I really enjoy hearing the demos and the outtakes and the stuff that's left off the album. And uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously a lot of people do, hence why they're releasing it. But that stuff really interests me. So yeah, I signed, yeah. I signed up real, real quick for that. Yeah, that's cool. This is going to be my first vault purchase. But Hey, that's great. Yeah, I'm kind of slacking on that. I remember during the, the tour, I was telling Ben what a super fan I was. And then we walked <laughs> by and I saw under Amazonian lights on a bookshelf, like back in the design room. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? Like, when was that put out? He's like, you don't know about Under Amazonian Lights? I'm like, no. He's like, it was a vault release. And I'm like, wow, I never even heard of that. He's like, oh, yeah, I thought you were a super fan. <laughs> he's very good at busting vaults. He's, Some he's fan you good. are. <laughs> I was like, no, really, truly? Uh, well, uh, Ben Blackwell's, let's call it snark, is a wonderful way to leave this. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining us. This was this was great. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for being supportive of the show. It really does mean the world to us to to hear from um, listeners and other Jack White fans. It's why we do it. So thank you very much. And uh, is there anything, uh, I don't know, is there anything you want to, like, plug while you're here? You want to promote anything? You want to direct people anywhere? What do you want to do with this power you wield, Derek? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't. I'm not used to it. Um, no, not really. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just uh, say thanks for having me. That was awesome. Um, I didn't want to, like, assume anything and, like, I know you guys have had some awesome guests on here. I'm just a fan, so I appreciate the chance to talk about Third Man and stuff like that. Oh, I had a question for you guys. If you guys could have Jack White on the show, would you do it? Or do you think it's better to, like, you know, keep it around his periphery and stuff like that? Now, we're going to go with the official answer of, uh, you know what? It's better that we don't have him on. But, um, <laughs> we, oh, of course, if he wanted to be on the show, I, I, we, don't, uh, I don't have we, a doubt that we would have him on. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a running Google Doc of like, what would we ask him? We'll we'll keep at it. And and I think the important thing for us is just like, we're going to do it regardless of whether that happens or not. And so as long as we don't, as long as that's not the point of why yeah. we're doing it, I think that's kind of where we land on it. But that's yeah. the beauty of it. You guys are just doing this because you love it. And now it's like getting a little, gaining some ground and, you know. That, yes, that's awesome. It's kind of like the White Stripes themselves. They were going to do it, but they hit it big. You exactly. Know? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, of course, I, I was reminded of that line: uh, "Quarantined on the Isle of Man," and I'm <laughs> trying to escape any way that I can. Oh, <laughs> I think Yo. that's the line. <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot. People can follow me on social media. I guess it's not any big deal, but you know, at Derek Ferguson or whatever. Hey, great. Hey, there you go. Thank you for coming on the show uh, this show is about talking about jack white to other fans honestly i mean it's just me and paul it's what it started with it's just me and paul talking about that so a- an extension of uh you know white swirl and little room kind of talking conversation groups and uh you know we love having people who love to talk about the band so thank you for making time and, and coming on the show and uh you're welcome back anytime thanks for coming on all right yeah thanks for all the cool content and thanks for having me on that's really cool our pleasure Derek. thank you Ferguson for joining us on the show today. This is a lot of fun. I love the album Lazaretto. I'm really looking forward to coming back next week and actually talking about it. Um, that we've never actually not done, as we mentioned, the track by track before, but 
oh, there's just so much to get through here that uh, we might as well we might as well save that. So uh, we would like to. Uh, well, I always thank the Patreon patrons. James, you want to thank the Patreon patrons? All right, yeah, we'd love to thank our Patreon patrons, Paul, and I'd love to do it. Uh, we'd like to thank our third person this week, Derek Ferguson. Oh, thank you, Derek. Yeah, uh, forever Ferguson. Her forever for Ferguson. Forever for Ferguson. That's 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 what it is. For her, forever for Ferguson. I like it. Ferguson. And and last episode we did say it was a demand of his to call it that. I, I'd like to be clear. He he made no such demands. Uh, that was a joke. There are no demands. Derek demanded of us nothing. No. Well, the, yeah. No. A turkey called me up and said that they demanded it. But uh, you, sir, was, are in a position to demand nothing. Nothing. I. <laughs> I'm in a position to grant nothing. What you see here is all that <laughs> remains of our podcast marooned 17 years ago by Captain I'll let him, James I'll let him finish. T. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Botany Bay. Botany Bay is a kind of a lazaretto of sorts. It's a prison hole. Yeah, for the Aussies. Um, yeah, we'd also like to thank uh, Michael Brookfield or Michael Bone Brookfield, as we as we have affectionately called you. Tam Davis, our third person in spirit. Luke Sinclair, Luke me over closely. Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken all over. Melinda Taylor, send me an angel down. Melinda Taylor, thank you. Julia Hickling or the three dollar hat mig, thanks Julia. We got Stu Cat or the Stu Driver. We got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Brenda Inglehart, I want to be the boys to warm your Inglehart. We want to be the boys. We want to be the heart. Yeah. Yes, we, we want to be the boys to warm your ankle heart. Yvette Wilkins, Wilkin on Sunshine. We've got Brett Garski. The Brett Three Killed My Garski. Elizabeth Myers burning <laughs> burning <laughs> rolling in on a burning Myers, or as Paul really likes, one eye, one blank stare looking up Myers there. <laughs> I think both of them are just gonna be what it They're is. Both good. Anyway, and and we have Melinda Endress, dress and cause? No, no, no. Question you mark look pretty and, oh, fancy Endress. See, Endress, yeah, I know. You write that down. Yeah. And if you'd like to be somebody, oh, Jake, I found Drake. Found Drake? Gone Drake. Uh, go- gone Drake. Gone Drake. Jake gone Jake. Gone. Okay, thank you. That was good. Uh, there be, might be some babbling on this. That's all right. People love babbling. Uh, if you'd like to be one of those people that we shout on the show, you can contribute to our Patreon page and, and help keep the lights on. Thank you again, everybody who does that. And of course, you can interact with us in other ways. You can go to facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you know, we haven't actually shouted out the Instagram on, on the show. We have an Instagram uh, that is very active and very wonderful. And Ben Blackwell follows us for some reason and sees all our weird <laughs> posts. What? He does? I had no idea. He definitely does. For sure. On Instagram, we are the third men underscore podcast on Instagram. You can find us on there. And again, a lot of fun stuff. If you want to see photos of uh, things we've talked about on the show, well, those have been going to Instagram lately. They have not been going to Facebook. So if you want to get some, some interesting visuals to accompany these shows, you can find them all on there. So uh, so definitely do that. And then you can head to uh, Tumblr, which I haven't updated in a while. I should do that. Thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can head to our website, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You shoot us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Our show is hosted by Acast, and they've been lovely throughout this pandemic. 
Mm. Uh, we have uh, Third Men on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash The Third Men Podcast. Check us out there and please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. It'd be very nice of you. And Derek Ferguson, Derek Forever for Ferguson, definitely reviewed and subscribed. And so, James, you owe Derek Forever for Ferguson some artwork. I could draw something, but it wouldn't look as good. So the pressure's on you. (laughs) All right. Well, be prepared for Butterball. Okay. And then uh, if you want to send us a listener question, you can definitely do that. Just send it to our email address. Sorry, I was just enthralled with your uh, <laughs> with you going through it. Uh, yeah, please do that. And uh, we'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the beautiful intros and outros of our program that you guys hear every other week. And, uh, Paul, I think that's going to do it for this episode, yeah? Yeah, well, until next time, James, uh, you'll find me down in the Lazaretto aboard Rotten. Oh. Aboard Rotten. I make a models of people I used to know <laughs> at a coffee and cotton. And now my illegitimate kids are begotten, thrown down to the wolves, and made feral for nothing. A quarantined on the Isle of Man, and I'm trying to escape any way that I can. Oh. Any way that I can. Oh. <laughs> and a little uh, Adam Sandler on that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you will find me looking for a home uh i don't know drinking gasoline and water probably <laughs> i'm trying to get out of this pandemic and i i read somewhere that gasoline if you drink it will cure the coronavirus so mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. don't do that please god disclaimer don't hey james is not do a doctor not james is not a doctor but try it what could you lose you might die it's called you might die. It's called homeopathy. If it was good enough for the dinosaurs and good enough for my car, it's good enough for the coronavirus. Am I right? It's not. Please don't. That dead dinosaur <laughs> prognosis extinction. <laughs> yeah, no. This all extincts. Anyway, bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at Third Men Cast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. You should have heard me describing this album to Ryan last night. He's like, I love the song Three Women. I was like, oh, yeah, he co-wrote that with a dead guy. He's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) He dug him up. Um, um, Don't try and be a great Jack. Just be a Jack. Let history make its own judgments. Um, This is Efren Cochran. (laughs) I got it. No, Um, James, in this side lighting you're in right now, you you do look like you're on an album cover. And I must say, the beard trim you've got going on is very nice. Oh, thanks. looks very even. Thank you. It is even. I don't know if this is an intro to a segment. Oh, no, no, it's not. I was literally just looking at your beard. That that wasn't anything. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) I was going to say, is this this an intro to the kinky corner? (laughs) Because... No, no. Okay, so yeah, we're going to do Lazarus.
Mystique Ball, let's do it. I am going to go grab a Diet Coke. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to eat some more almonds. Mmm. The great taste of almonds. In these uncertain times, we know that life is rough, but almonds are there for you. Buy almonds. We're in this together. All right, James. That's pretty cool. You know, Jack. Uh, Jack's second marriage was in your vicinity. Something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Around you. <laughs> So, um, Snowy. yeah, so she, yeah, really. Oh. Welcome to this bad in- intro that we have planned yeah. for you. I'll put some, I mean not. I'll put some sound effects on it. It'll sound like something. All right. So... I'm finishing chewing an almond. Holy <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I remember you telling Ben that, that you guys were from New Jersey. Yeah, and he's like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> the reaction everyone gives. <laughs> no, I'm sure it has its uh, its virtues. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, the, uh, so... <laughs> so... But I read this article a couple years ago about that, that scientifically, though, that our brain, we have to create patterns. We, we look for patterns of similarity all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to find things that are similar so that our brain can make sense of them. And that, shockingly, is, is uh, like the seed of a lot of romantic ideas for a lot of people on a day-to-day basis, and a lot of, for a lot of artists, you know, that it was meant to be. But actually, it's our brain focusing on patterns, trying to discover patterns all the time. And uh, it's a little bit sad to say that, so I hate even saying that out loud because it kind of kills a lot of romance about the things. Welcome back to our song. Hey, everybody. Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on it can be as much or as little as you can swing and all donations are greatly appreciated the last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough but if you would like to help us out that would be amazing all right it's all from me remember you can head to patreon.com slash third men podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already all right everybody i'll see you on the show
And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.